Good morning. It's a new week. Both Arkansas teams could possibly win this week. Good morning. There you yeah, That's better, right? Okay, put that week behind us and, and, and let's try something different. We're in Matthew chapter 9, if you'll make your way to Matthew chapter 9 and the story of the paralytic. A few things for the college students. Taco Tuesday's back uh, uh, Tuesday at 6 o'clock at our house, so please be there. We'd love to have you. If you're college age, just come on out. Next Sunday, the family fun day, all that, all that food. The elders met last Sunday night, and they appealed for one hour to God to remove gluttony from the, the, uh, uh, the covenant of God for one Sunday. So next Sunday, gluttony does not count against you. The Lord answered with fire in that room, and I know that next Sunday you can be gluttonous and not be a sinner. So that's what we've... Uh, you can't do that, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can't prove anything. Uh, just come eat like crazy, but also don't forget, 4 o'clock we have the, the evening service, and, and you'll love that, and just lots of eating, lots of fun, lots of games, being like a family does at kind of reunion times and whatnot. So that's next Sunday. Don't miss that. And then a week from that is the family retreat down at Wildwood, and so if you haven't signed up for that, please do that soon, and you will enjoy the time, just a laid-back time at that campsite, and you'll enjoy being together. That night, we're having evening services somewhere else. You can come here if you want to. There will be a group meeting here, but there are also eight or nine other groups in different places. That listed on the table out in the foyer. Please sign up for one of those. And it, uh, men, if, if you've never done this before in your life, I've, I've never done this before, I don't know I can do it, sign up and do a devotional for us at one of those. Sign up and be a song leader for one of those. Sign up and be a prayer leader at one of those. It's going to be a small group of 15 or 20, uh, and, and it's, it's no pressure on you, and, and, and it's just try it. Exercise your spiritual muscle there a little bit in leadership, and that's a great opportunity to do that. We're in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus heals this paralytic, but we're going to play a game first. You do have to commit to one of these. You've played this game with groups of people before. Uh, but you have to raise your hand on one option or the other, read them both, and then we're going to give you the chance. Would you rather go into the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great-grandchildren? How many would rather go in the past and meet your ancestors? Raise your hand. How many would rather go into the future and meet your great-great-grandchildren? That's what, that's, that's what the earlier service did, too. thought that was, okay, good. Would you rather go a week without the internet or go six days without access to your phone? A week without the internet? That's what I thought. Six days without able to get... Really? I'm surprised. That kind of shocks me. Okay. Would you rather uh, have more time or have more money? How many say time? Wow. How many say money? Okay. That says some things about you, and that's not what I anticipated. I gotta... Would you rather have the personality of Tony Pearson or have to act like and dress like Linda May? Tony Pearson. Linda May. Oh, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Would you rather be Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker? Harry Potter. Luke Skywalker. Ooh. I, I, I did not anticipate that. Would you rather be Captain America or Iron Man? Captain America, Iron Man, that's about even. Would you rather be the height of Ron Marsh or the height of Matt Nix? 
Uh, I had to blow this picture up three times for you to see him, you know? <laughs> Ron Marsh. Okay, Matt Nix? Okay, all right, that's, that's not fair. Would you rather have the hair of Vindus Stevens or the hair of Rick Baker? How many say Vindus? That's what most what Rick Baker, anybody? Okay, some... This says something about us as a church. Would you rather have the ability to be invisible or would you rather have supernatural speed? Invisible. Really? Speed? I'm, I'm surprised. And this is the last one that leads to actually what we're talking about. Would you rather have perfect health all your life or would you rather have your sins forgiven? If you couldn't have both, if you could only have one, how many would say perfect health all your life? You know you're at church, don't you? Have your sins forgiven. That's the right answer, right? That's what I'm most interested in. The story we have in Matthew chapter 9 is that Jesus was asked to leave that region that he went over to. So he gets back in the boat and he goes back to the other side and the people realize he's come home. That's why, you know, we got a large crowd because you realize I was gone and you had to put up with Michael Meredith last week and I'm back and everybody wants to come back, right? And now the numbers are down. Okay, all right. What they see is they see Jesus coming back on that boat, and they've, they've, they've gotten some experience with Jesus before. They, they know what he does, that, that when he comes, there's a possibility f for healing. And he also preaches, and so the, immediately when he gets out of this boat, here comes these, or wherever he's preaching at this time, there's four men, and I'm taking it that this man is lying on something like a sleeping bag, and he's paralyzed. He can't move. He has no ability to function at all. And he's lying on a mat with no power to do anything, but he's heard stories about Jesus, and so he knows that Jesus can do some amazing things, and he believes it enough to talk to four of his friends who also apparently believe it, and they each drag a corner. They grab a corner of that mat, and they pick it up, and they walk, no telling how far the distance is, but they walk the entire distance to get to where Jesus is. And they get through the crowd. You know from the other Gospels they had to lower, lower him through the roof because the crowd was so big, right? Matthew doesn't mention that. He doesn't care about that detail. These people go to great trouble and great lengths and risk great embarrassment to bring this paralyzed man in the presence of Jesus and just plop him right there in front of the crowd and he's there not able to do anything. This guy is just totally vulnerable right here, and they drop him in front of Jesus. And it says that Jesus says, when he saw their faith. Now, faith is invisible, right? Faith is believing in something you can't see, right? Faith is having great belief and conviction of things you can't see. And yet, Jesus says, it says Jesus saw that these people had a belief in something you can't see. How do you see faith, or how do you see the faith of someone else? In this particular case, when you have four guys willing to risk the embarrassment and the shame of bringing this guy before Jesus, plopping him down there, they've got to believe something's got to happen. They've got to believe something in order to go to that much trouble to bring this man to Jesus. And Jesus looks at that, and he honors it, and he says, I see their faith. Here's my question for you that doesn't count as part of the sermon necessarily. What do people notice about you that makes them see your faith? As you live your life day to day, do people look at you and see your faith. 
Well, I'm pretty sure these five men know or heard enough about Jesus. They're anticipating something. They bring, Jesus, they bring this man, this friend of theirs, to Jesus, anticipating him to do something. And that asks me, and that, that provokes another question, what have you come here anticipating today? What have you come expecting? You got dressed, you went to the trouble of getting up early and getting taken care of early, and you come here, what are you expecting? I hope it's more than just the sermon, right? Surely it's just more than the sermon. But I guess I would answer, ask it this way. If you leave this place today without fill-in-the-blank, you'll be disappointed. What would you put in there? What would cause you today to leave here and be disappointed? Well, these guys come, and I'm guaranteeing you. I don't know this. I can't ask them. But I guarantee you that what they're looking for is healing, right? And Jesus looks at them, sees their faith, and says, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. This is a curveball. This is not what he's expecting. I'm pretty sure that this guy came for healing and was not concerned one iota about his sin. If the story stopped there, how would these men feel? I want to ask this question. Would you rather have perfect health or would you rather have your sins forgiven? Just think about it. This guy comes... He's paralyzed, they drop him before Jesus, he forgives their sin, and then he wraps it up and he sends the, the, the crowds away. The man's still lying there, the four friends gather the corners, and they go on. What would happen if that's how the story ended? He just forgave them their sin, didn't heal the disease at all, and he's still paralyzed. You think he would walk away disappointed? I'm pretty sure he would. What he came for was the healing now, I want to rewrite this story. You're not supposed to do this, but we can use our imaginations. I want to rewrite the story as, I expected, uh, as they expected it to happen. So here's what the text says. He says, take heart, guys. Your days of paralysis are over. Rise and walk. And the man gets up, and so do the friends. They take the mat, and they just go home. And that's all he did. They're thrilled as they go home. They got exactly what they came here for. They did, he did exactly what they went to the trouble of wanting him to do. And as it happens, he skips and walks and sings their way home. There is no controversy with the religious leaders because that never takes place. The man lives perfectly healthy for another 20 years. He dies of something else because he's not going to live forever. And he spends eternity in hell apart from God. That's how the story could have ended. Yeah, Jesus would have given him better health than the other 20 years of his life, 30 years. But did nothing for the vast, vast majority of, the per of that man's eternal existence. He would have been gypped, but he wouldn't have found out for another 30 or 40 years for sure. Jesus gave this man more than he asked for. He treated him better than he expected, but he couldn't know that. This man just wants his felt needs met, and that's all he's thinking. And Jesus reaches in and meets a whole lot greater need than the man even knew he had. That really is the position of the church. I wish that we would grasp this idea for ourselves as the only unique thing the church has to offer in this world we live in is the gospel message. We can feed a hungry person, he'll be hungry later on. We can give a home to a homeless person, but if we haven't shared anything about their eternal home, we have left them with the greatest needs left exposed. We haven't done what we can do as our greatest unique role. We can help people with electric bills, but the next month they'll be in need again. 
And all along the way in doing these things that we help people with, the most real and dramatic and long-lasting and ultimate needs of their life never get addressed at all. I'd love to know that some people this morning came for fellowship and came for encouragement, but you end up realizing about your sin separating you from God, and before you leave this morning, you actually take care of a need you weren't even thinking about when you got here. That's really what we're here for. Would you rather have perfect health in your life or your sins forgiven? Well, you know Jesus does both. Jesus gives this man his ability to move and live and have his being, and he walks away. And as a result of this, these religious leaders have this big controversy with Jesus. How dare you say you can forgive sin? That's something that only God can do, which is true. It's true, we'll get to that in a minute. But here's the question. Did you notice that? that Jesus asked them a question. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? And I want to ask this I want to answer this. Because this is, an, this is a question with many answers. There's not just one. Which is easier, to say you're forgiven or to say you are healed? Answer number one. It is easier to say you're forgiven than to say you're healed. Why? Because I can't prove or disprove whether you forgave my sin or not. I can say to you that Randy Carlton over here, I'm about to turn his liver a dark, dark, bright orange. Dark, bright? A bright, bright orange. I'm going to turn Randy Carlton's liver bright, bright orange. Just a second. I did it. How many of you believe me? That's what I thought. But it could be, right? I could have. The only way to know would be to cut him open. Would you give us permission? No. So you're just my word against your belief. I can say what I want to, but I can't prove it by saying it. I can say whatever I want, and you can't tell whether I'm true or not. But if I say to you, to somebody who's paralyzed, get up and walk, either he gets up and walks and proves me right, or he doesn't and I'm proven wrong, it's a lot easier to say you're forgiven than to say you're healed. But there's another layer of answer to this question. It's a whole lot easier to heal this guy than to forgive him of his sin. Because Jesus has already healed a bunch of people. Jesus has already healed a paralytic before. Jesus has cast out demons, and by a word, he's already done all this healing before. This is nothing new. God created us with a word. God sustains us every day, and God can, with just his own prerogative, heal anybody of any disease, and they walk away whole. God can do that, but you know what he can't do? He cannot forgive you by just overlooking your sin. God cannot overlook your sin. He can't. You know what is required for sin to be forgiven? There has to be innocent, sinless blood shed to cover your sin. Even God cannot overlook or just minimize your sin. Blood must be shed. And as Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. His sins are forgiven right then. But that forgiveness that he's issuing at that moment is going to require Jesus to go ahead and suffer death on the cross. He is obligating himself to die for this man. He's looking into the face of one of his beneficiaries and saying, I'm going to forgive you now because I'm going to die for you later. That's what he's saying to this guy. It's a whole lot easier 
for God to forgive to heal somebody than to forgive them of their sin. But there's a third third way to answer this question, and it is this: It's not easy to do either one of them. The only person who can heal, the only person who can forgive, is God. He alone can do it. So, on this next screen, I want you to see the syllogism. I don't ever use logic. I mean, I use logic, but I don't use uh, debating logic. Okay, next screen. Yeah, okay, so on this side is what the religious leaders thought. They're sitting there thinking, only God can forgive sin. Is that true? That's true. Only God can forgive sin. They're right. Jesus just forgave sin. Therefore, Jesus is blaspheming. He's acting like he's God, and he's a lunatic, and he's nuts, and he's dangerous. Well, that's one option. But here's the real truth. Only God can forgive, and only God can heal. Jesus heals and forgives. Therefore, what? Jesus is God. And that's what he's saying right here, and this is, a this is a tough pill to swallow for these people. It's not easy to do either one. It is divine to be able to do this. And it comes back to the question for us, would you rather live your life in perfect health or have your sins forgiven? And I hope you get this right. We need people to appeal to God on behalf of our health. And we do this every, every Sunday. We get together and pray for people with cancer and health problems and, and all these issues. We pray for that. And that may or may not happen. God might or might not respond to that appeal. But this second one about God forgiving you of your sins, there's an absolute certain way of knowing whether he does that, and that's whether you obey him or not. And you're guaranteed the forgiveness of sins so that nothing can keep you spiritually paralyzed in your life. So would you rather the church meet felt needs of people or would you rather the church be able to offer the gospel? We try both. We should. But there's one absolute one that we must do because there's no other organization on the face of this planet with this mission. The church is to offer the gospel if we do nothing else. This brings up a weird thing if you'll look at verse 6. Jesus, it says, we're going to read this, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You need to underline that. Because that's going to answer one of the most pressing questions people ask all the time. Jesus, three times while on the earth, actually in real time, offered forgiveness to people. This is the first one, and people don't talk about this one very much. This paralytic comes, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. How can he do that? Because he wasn't baptized. People are hung up on this a lot. How can he do that when the guy didn't do anything to get it, right? He didn't respond to God at all. Well, Jesus is sitting there. He's watching it, and he sees their faith. He sees their belief. He sees their repentance. He sees what he needs to see, and he can offer forgiveness on whatever basis he wants to. Jesus, while on earth, could forgive on whatever basis he wanted to, but it will require repentance. Second time this happens, Luke chapter 7 the woman, he's, he's dining at the home of a man who's a Pharisee, and this woman comes in and washes his feet with her tears. You remember this? She washes his feet and dries them with her hair. And Jesus says, woman, your sins are forgiven. 
Now that's a travesty again. But he actually issues forgiveness to this woman at that moment for her sin. She wasn't baptized. She, wasn't, she didn't do anything like we typically do. But Jesus was there. He has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then you get the most popular example. The criminal on the cross. This has been so abused, right? So I'm gonna, we're going to do another split screen here. It's a puzzle. This is the weirdest thing, and I, I want, this is from Luke, both of these are from Luke chapter 23, where Jesus is on the cross. On this side, which is your, I don't know, on this side, we are being convicted justly, the criminal says. It's, we deserve this punishment. Jesus is innocent, so he's saying something about Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to tell you right now. You're going to be with me in paradise. He gives forgiveness and salvation to this guy instantly. And you'll hear people say, well, that's the basis. That's for everybody. That's all of us. If we'll just look at him and say, Jesus, save me, that's all it takes. Back up a few verses to the most perplexing part of what he says on the cross. This is still on the cross. And when they came to the place where they called the skull, that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Why does he not say, I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing? Shouldn't that be what it says? Jesus has authority on earth. Jesus can forgive himself. Why suddenly does he say, God, you're going to be the one to forgive him? Why does he have to pray for them? Why does he have to appeal to the Father to extend forgiveness? Why doesn't Jesus do it himself? He has the authority on earth to forgive sins, but here, here is the one time where he says, I want them to be forgiven, but God, you're going to have to do it. It's not my doings. What in the world? Any ideas? Jesus can forgive sin on earth if he wants to. Once he leaves, it's the Father's prerogative. But the other thing is this. When Jesus sees forgiveness, not forgiveness, when Jesus sees repentance, when he sees remorse, when he sees conviction, he will offer that on his own basis. He's looking down at people right now who are belittling him and making fun of him and killing him. There is no repentance in those people at all. He sees nothing, but they will one day repent. Some of them will one day from repent, and he wants them to know there's still going to be the availability of forgiveness for you, but it's not going to be from me. I will not be on earth anymore on that basis. I cannot forgive you when you come around to your repentance, but my Father will. Father, on the day they repent, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, do we have any record of the people there that day possibly repenting? Acts 2. Let's go to Acts 2. This is in the Sermon of Peter. Acts chapter 2. Some of those people, I'm not going to say all of them, some of those people who were around the cross making fun of Jesus and belittling Jesus, some of them are here in Acts chapter 2. Same people killing him 40 days ago. Now, 50 days later, here they, I said 40 and 50. 
50 days later, they're back here. They're, around the, they're, they're no longer around the cross, right? They've killed him. They've played their role. But now they're around Peter, and they realize what they've done. I want you to hear what Peter says, verse 23 near the beginning and 36 near the end of his sermon. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. Now, this applies to us because our sin caused him to be crucified. So this sermon can apply to us only secondarily. The sermon really applied to those people right in front of him, and some of those people were the ones who killed him. Those people for whom Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He uttered a prayer on their behalf, and in Acts chapter 2, that prayer is going to be answered. These people there that day, they were there. At the end of the sermon, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they are so convicted. They are cut to the heart. They don't just have remorse and sorrow. They are cut to the heart. They realize they played a literal role in taking his life. And they say, what must we do? We need an answer to this dilemma. And Jesus prayed that he, they would have one, did he not? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And God answers this prayer through the words of Peter, and here's the words he gives. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God's answer to the prayer of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them. And if you want forgiveness, you live on the same side of the cross that these people did. This is your answer, not just theirs. Verse 39, this promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If anybody wants to come to God and get the salvation that Jesus prayed for, then you've got to come on this basis. We can't change it. We can't alter it. This is the first time it was declared. This is how God forgives sin. This, we cannot give the answer of Jesus to the paralytic, to the sinful woman of Luke 7, nor to the criminal on the cross because we're not on that side. The only answer we can give is this one on this side. For those of you raised Church of Christ all your life, you're saying, yeah, so what? Well, because when you go somewhere else and you're, if you've ever had interaction with people from another, uh, from, from another group within the Christian realm, they're going to they're gonna tell you what you need to do is pray this prayer. And they're going to give you the words. Or maybe they'll pray it for you on TV or maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll hear it on a Sunday morning. And listen, I appreciate that sincerity. And I will never put down that sincerity and that desire for truth. But that was never the answer given to the question. That was not how God answered the prayer of Jesus. That must not be how we answer anyone who's in that dilemma. When they want to know what must we do, we can't change it. We must keep what God answered the prayer with. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord your God shall call. That's how God answered Jesus. That's how Jesus' prayer on the cross was fulfilled. And that's how 
When we get to the point of repenting of our sin, that's how God saves us. I hope you find Valley View to be a church that's active and we have a lot of fun things like eating together next Sunday night and trunk or treat coming up and all these fun things. And that's wonderful. Pack-a-sack and service opportunities are wonderful. But listen, that is secondary to our primary purpose and that is representing the gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplicity and in its power. And if we do all these other things and we fail to tell you that you are a sinner separated from God because of your sin and that there's a way out if we don't tell you that we have failed we are not being who we're supposed to be and the greatest help we can give you is not to give you social stimulation or fun service projects our greatest service to you is sharing the gospel and letting you get out of the consequences of your sin it's the greatest thing we can do for you because it is an eternal thing So we want to do all these things, and they're important, they're vibrant to the part of living in the church, but I would be an error, and we would be a total failure to God's purpose for us as a church, not to say, you've got a sin issue that separates you from God, and God has provided a way out. God has provided this remedy Himself at great cost to Himself by sending Jesus to die on a cross, and that blood was shed for you. And we're going to repeat this again. It's the same old message. And people say, we want something new. We can't give you something new. We can only give you what God gave in the first place, this gospel message. And so until the Lord comes, for the sake of repetition, let me say it, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We will not change it. We will not alter it. We will not substitute anything else there, or it won't be gospel. It won't be. And we won't save you. And we'll escort you with fun into hell. And that would totally forsake our responsibility if you have sin in your life the greatest thing I can tell you is the saddest thing I can tell you you are in trouble but you need not stay there a solution has already been provided and we're gonna love you enough to tell you you're in trouble and we're not gonna keep having fun with you without telling you you're in trouble But you need not be, because there's a gospel called good news. But good news is only good news when it's an answer to the bad news. You've got to know the bad news first. Sin. So I ask you this question one more time. Would you rather live a perfect, healthy life, lots of fun, or would you rather have your sins forgiven? I don't want to show a hands. Answer it yourself. You make a choice. Because one of those is an absolute you can have. For sure. As we stand and as we sing to encourage you. Just as I am without.